Hello everyone and welcome to the show. Welcome to the new week. It's Monday the 22nd of June 2020 and this is the Meet the Farmers podcast with me Ben Eagle. I've got a real treat in store for you today with today's guest and I really enjoyed having an expectedly wide-ranging discussion with him one evening last week about all things countryside. Yes, rural commentator and chartered surveyor Rob York is on the podcast. We'll also be playing this week's round of Guess the Crop and looking back on the farming and countryside news stories from the past week. So let's start the show. In the news this week, more than a million people have now signed the petition organised by the NFU urging the government not to undermine British production standards by allowing lower quality food imports into Britain. Writing in his Sunday Times column, Jeremy Clarkson has been particularly vocal in his views as to what will happen when the basic payment is phased out and British farmers are forced to compete in an unfair way with producers from abroad for the British food market. The NFU hopes to continue the petition and to continue discussions at DEFRA. The impact of the floods earlier in the year lives on, with a further £6 million being provided by the government to help farmers who were affected by the floods. This means farmers and landowners in parts of Herefordshire, Shropshire, Worcestershire, Gloucestershire, Staffordshire, Nottinghamshire and North and East Yorkshire. So if you live in any of those areas, look into that. You can apply for between £500 and £25,000 under the Farming Recovery Fund. The human world might be focused on coronavirus right now, but in the avian world, the UK is now officially disease-free from avian influenza H5N3, although DEFRA's chief veterinary officer is still urging all keepers of poultry to remain vigilant. Something incredible has happened in the beef market since the 20th of May, with prices at their highest level now for over a year, rising by about 40 pence a kilo in just six weeks. The reasons are broad, but partly down to supermarkets promoting the whole carcass and, of course, barbecue weather helping retail demand for prime cuts, which were struggling earlier in the lockdown. Finally, there's slightly disappointing news for arable farmers as UK crops forecasts for wheat, winter barley, spring barley and oilseed rape are showing yields to all be below the five-year average due to the continued dry weather. But of course, this only talks of yield and we'll wait to see how it impacts on bottom lines. And that is the news for now. It's now time for today's interview feature, which is with a non-farmer today, but somebody who has been heavily involved in rural commentary for several years, has written multiple letters to the Times and has interviewed several leading figures in the world of food, farming and the environment. Yes, today I'm speaking to Twitter's black girl, rural commentator and chartered surveyor, Rob York. So I first got to know my guest today through Twitter shortly after starting my blog way back in 2013. Seems a life go, lifetime ago now. Um, he shares my interest in rural communities and also particularly in bringing seemingly disparate groups together to talk about common ground. Yes, I am thrilled tonight to be speaking to Rob York on the line direct from the Black Mountains. Rob is a rural commentator and chartered surveyor. And you might know him as Black Girl on Twitter. 
He's lived in many of the wilder parts of the UK, such as Argyle, Cumbria, Snowdonia, the Black Mountains, and Shepherd's Bush. He commentates, chairs, project managers, pipeline, pipeline schemes, brokers' conversations. He's written 122 letters to date in The Times. He's interviewed Michael Gove, George Monbiot, Ben Goldsmith, Minette Batters. Um, he seeks to provoke dialogue between environmentalists, farmers, hunters, rewilders, foresters, naturalists, gamekeepers, and scientists. There is a brief introduction, but there is, there is a lot to this man, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on. Rob, it's, it's really great to have you on here. Finally, although keen-eared listeners who've gone back through the episodes might remember you from previous Oxford um, episodes. I, I acutely remember a, a particularly good joint OFC ORFC cider tasting. Yes. Uh, ben, thank you for <laughs> reminding me of that. And also thank you for your introduction and thank you for inviting me on to this very famous Meet the Farmers because I've got to confess I'm not a farmer. I think we have had, you know, kind of previous discussions at various events and they've always been spicy, they've always been animated and they've always been wide raging and so it's up to you and this is a real, a real joy to be on the opposite side. It's up to you to chair me very harshly. <laughs> a challenge perhaps, we'll see. So you've asked to actually to talk about a, a number of topics tonight, uh, which we will go through, but I wonder if you can start by introducing yourself um, in terms of what you do, both your day job, um, which is perhaps easier to describe, but also your writing and commentating, which is the thing that, that many listeners, um, especially if they're on Twitter, may know you for. Well, thanks for that. Um, uh, how, I want to put this into a very small piece because I don't think people are that interested in me. It's more about the stuff that I'm talking about. But I suppose a little bit of context, and I've always talked about context is important. I was born down in the New Forest, brought up on the west of Scotland, the west of England, uh, and the west of Wales, and now live in southeast Wales in the Black Mountains. Um, I'm a rural, definitely a rural kid, but spent a bit of time in Shepherd's Bush, um, and I was commuting from town out to Hertfordshire. I mean, my, my old man, he was kind of forest commission. And that's why we moved around um, to the west of, uh, mainly the west part of, of the UK. So I'm very used to midges and woodland and also arguing and debating. And that's something that I think my dad, um, you know, really put into me at the early, some of those early doors. You trained as a rural surveyor at the REU, um, then the REC. Um, tell me about those days and uh, how it led on to your rural surveyor career. Well, I've got a slight confession um, in that I wasn't going to go to the Royal Agricultural University or the RAC as it was there. I was going to go and do zoology and geography combined honours really? at Newcastle University. I did not know this. Yeah. Well, I didn't really tell my parents either. <laughs> uh, and uh, I basically went and spent a bit more time traveling around um, and then I decided actually the rural land management degree run at Reading University but hosted at the Royal Agricultural College or University whatever was actually going to provide more ability um, for me to earn stuff in the future. So I, that's where I went. Okay. Uh, and it was an interesting place. Interesting, possibly a little bit narrow as to the range of people in uh, an institution. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
a bit and, and i'm also really interested in, in your writing influences uh, have you always enjoyed writing have you yeah i i have to just say that but i think i probably i probably obfuscate what does that mean actually i actually confuse myself sometimes i think sometimes find find it quite hard to kind of keep track of how i how i present things so i think when i'm writing letters and i have always written stuff when was uh when i was small i remember picking up hemingway's book the big two-hearted river and that is an evocative piece of writing it's not his big stuff not hemingway's kind of big stuff this is it's it's wonderfully evocative stuff about uh being out in the wild uh and of course i like a bit of the kind of john bucken because that's what i am originally though it's quite hard to express it in the modern parlance i'm a hunter naturalist or mm. naturalist hunter conservationist uh hunter outdoor outdoor mm. backwoodsman whatever you want to call it uh and so i've always enjoyed trying to put that into words and you know writing um is very cathartic as well and i like writing and that I mean that links into um communications generally which which you use you use communications in quite a broad way what, what does communications mean to you and again, where does that interest come, come from? Uh, I think communication just comes back to speaking with people, liking dealing with people. I remember speaking to a solicitor and he said, no, 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 no. I like being a solicitor because I don't need to speak to people. I just write a formal letter. And I thought, what the, hang on. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think that was the turning point, but it was definitely the idea that I like talking with people learning stuff from them body language as well so that's why face to face yeah. okay this is zoom to zoom <laughs> I, actually 25 years of being a rural surveyor working on pipelines project management troubleshooting dealing with ecologists and solicitors and farmers and members of the public and other land agents and a whole spectrum and that i suppose just maybe work out that communications are pretty damn important yeah and i'm not sure if we get them right half the time yeah common ground is a term that you've used a lot in the past it's, it's a term that we've discussed a lot together in the past um what does common ground mean to you common ground can take you to more nuanced spaces you've got a spider's web and i think there's a lot more in common than we dare admit to it's not an easy terrain to traverse the common ground it's pretty unpopular because of course if you're in common ground that means you're not in the partisan trenches um and um you're in no man's land but then um, you know that's what this is about is is being a bit braver in some of our some of our discussions yeah can you can you give me a couple of examples of uh, you mentioned Oxford farming um, and Oxford real farming. Take take me into some of the events. I Means perhaps some of your hay events. Okay, so here's one. I had the head of the soil association, and I had a poultry farmer. Yeah, high tech. And I said to the head of, um, head of the soil association, "You're an organic farmer, okay? You're not head of the soil association. Poultry farmer, intensive indoor. What I wanted was the audience who may not have known about all of these bits and pieces to learn." that actually those different views from the speakers did have common ground, but it's quite hard to tease them out if it's done in a traditional way of saying, who are you, where's your label, who do you represent? And so what comes with it is the baggage, the ideology, whereas by framing it and letting people talk in a different way, the audience could discover stuff that they had in common. Hmm. 
that is that's an interesting segue into our next topic which is the agriculture bill which in essence is the largest change um to the rural context in terms of policy for a generation what is your take on it so far so i mean uh, to date where we are now is that it's sitting in the lords it was it had its yeah, first sort of session in the lords last week um and we're, we're moving into committee stage what's your take on it yeah ben i mean this is a huge rabbit hole we could go down and i'm no expert on it and i'm not quite sure who is an expert on it because and i say this because basically the uk is coming down off subsidies in the land management farming the UK countryside has been linked to subsidies via the CAP, Corn Agricultural Policy, for years now. And we're coming down off that. And I'm almost using the kind of off heavy drugs. And it almost is like that. And I, that's why I'm finding it quite intriguing how many experts have popped up saying, right, this is how we did it. This is how we need to do it now. I like the Ag Bill, but I'm not liking the way it's being presented because I think there's a lot more complexity in it. And I read the schedule one i think it is and it talks about productivity and for me that's very interesting it's not about production and how often do we hear productivity and production conflated you know the other thing is food security and i remember being at the oxford farming conference and my question in the press room was not asked my question was you know are you not conflating food security with food self-sufficiency and i think the secretary of state probably was but she didn't want to say so because everything is very febrile at the minute and there are so many questions and there are so many difficult areas to discuss all within a, a small condensed time frame that i think the ag bill has some way to run i know people want it to be public goods but i can see it as public goods as well as productivity for improving food production and soils and it's all there but the way it's framed it's slightly either or and I, I think we could look for that complexity and I think it could be better framed. But again, who owns that framership, I think is the key thing. And I think the government could help a lot more on that, not just leave it to the NFBU, not you know leave it to the RSPB to say it's all about public goods. It, it, it's all of it. Yeah. I mean, the term land manager has been banded about a lot recently. Yeah. Do you think, do you, do, you, do you see any utility in that? And do you think that farmers will actually go as far as, no, as ever calling themselves i don't think they will but i think they have to um because kind of primary industries farming horticulture um horticulture aquaculture uh, agriculture but 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 it, it's you know farmers you know offense is not a defense don't be offended by being called a land manager if you provide wider thick hedgerows that provide more insects that provide then more stone curlews but at the same time you plant more trees and at the same time that you produce better wheat for wheatabix um and all of these and then you know you've opened your farm during on open farm sunday and you've got public access and you've got information all of that i would argue is land managing as well as being a farmer you might have a solar farm which is farming sunshine etc you know the farmers club i accept would not sound very good as the land managers club and you don't need it <laughs> but but i think come on get real because farmers have always been told farm for the market and if the market is demanding land managers don't be prissy over it i want to turn the conversation towards education because this the subject of, of having a natural history GCSE or, or or equivalent qualification has been has been in and out of the news for, for quite a while. Um, but it, it seems that 
once it's, it's been approved for consultation that, that we may have um, in England, at least, a, a natural history GCSE by, by 2022. Is that a good idea, do you think? I have to say that I did invite myself to the launch of it via Zoom, even, oh, yeah. even though they couldn't see me, which is probably a good thing. I'm not <laughs> sure they answered all my, don't think they answered any of my questions, but my main one was, oh, I don't know where I scribbled it down somewhere, but it was basically, you can't study your nature until you worked out where your food comes from. Hmm. And that's because I do, I spend a lot of time reading research papers. They're mainly about agriculture. They're about wildlife and conservation. They always start with this line. Agriculture is the biggest impactor on wildlife. And I'm going, well, hang on, that's a bit heavy handed. Uh, but actually, if you think about it, organic farming, any kind of farming means that you have to take land in order to produce food. I would suggest it's worth feeding in uh, to the GCSE. And that's not to just say it should become agriculture, because I know other people want farming to be a GCSE. And I think the, uh, another organization has just asked for the countryside code to be part of the education system. So all of these are kind of melded into one. Uh, and I would call it, uh, I don't know, natural, <laughs> natural countryside sciences. Something that connects food and the natural world quite nicely is shooting culture. Um, and it's, it's something that uh, you talk a great deal about, uh, about shooting and, and shooting culture itself. How, how healthy is shooting communications right now? Oh, OK. I, I would say that, OK, if someone prods you very hard and very hard indeed and keeps prodding you in the chest right towards the corner, I would suggest that you don't bring out your best arguments. Uh, that's me. That's me saying I don't think there's a very healthy discussion around shooting, but that's not shooting's fault. It's because it's become a totemic subject. And that's not just because people go out and shoot wood pigeons or they haven't got a general license to do that, whatever. I mean, goodness knows where we stand now. But, uh, you know, you've got wildfowling, you've got rush shooting for rabbits, you've got driven grouse shooting which of course is mm -hmm. very there's there's a whole other subject yeah yeah there is which is related to uplands and i think we might touch on uplands yeah um, absolutely but but you know the, i mean come, this is where i've always split the difference between public opinion and public benefit so undoubtedly and there was a wonderful report from 2010 report 40 uh, produced by the Game Conservancy and the RSPB. It was never published, but I managed to get hold of it. And I have published it because it had all this lovely common ground about well-managed shooting does great stuff for the environment. What's not to like? But of course, if you're going to focus on bad practices, and you could focus on bad practices of organic farming, of anything you wanted to, and discover that it's not good, for the land, etc. Of course, there's good stuff. And I have written about shooting. And I think I write about shooting and the stuff it can do because people have become very tribal about it. You either shoot or you don't shoot. And that loses the gray area about where there is the common ground between a gamekeeper who looks after stone curlews. Um, and that's been written about in the, in, uh, you know, the RSPB magazine. Mm. I have posted that. And those people who, who don't shoot but provide habitat for others to shoot over it. And rewilding has common ground between hunting. I like the word hunting in the European sense, the American sense, hunting wild game, um, rather than, I think, and I'm starting to waffle here, but the UK has a very traditional backdrop to shooting, Edwardian double guns. 
And I think we could possibly lose some of that to have a much healthier conversation. You also write about fishing and you're, you're a keen fisherman yourself. Uh, you, you wrote a book, which I, I didn't know this until I looked at this. You, you wrote a book called The, the A to Z of Fishing for W.H. Smith in 2004. <laughs> I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> Someone asked me to do it after a game of football. They said, look, Rob, you know, we know you're cheap as chips. You can you can whiz off a few words <laughs> on fishing. Wait, I think I've got a copy. Funny enough, just over here. Ah. <laughs> here it is. I won't go. The eight. There it is. Yeah. The eight of angling. Um, but on a serious note, I mean, this is quite shooting. I love fishing. I love angling. I'm a member. I'm a member of the Wild Trout Trust, a life member. Of, I'm a life member of the Game of the Game Wildlife Conservation Trust. I'm a member of the RSPB. I'm a member of the member of the British Trust for Ornithology, member of Bug Life, um, a member of Basque, member of blah blah blah. The point I'm saying is that I love fishing. Uh, I have lots of fishing friends, but I'm also aware of the conflict between clean water and other land uses. Uh, but I love fishing, and again, but it's like it's like shooting. Those people who are looking after rivers are looking after great environments, um, but there are also lots of interfaces with other land uses, i.e., you know, kind of diffuse kind of pollution. And I can't escape some of those wicked problems, which I think we could talk about in a much more honest and open way. Um, but I think, as John Buchan said, time spent fishing is time not wasted. Let's switch the microphone around. You've, you've interviewed uh, quite a lot of people. Who, who stands out in that number? Always a difficult question. I tell you what, it's quite interesting being interviewed because, of course, however much you prepare, you don't have the answers that you want to suddenly give beautifully, erudically, yeah. straight off the tongue. It sounds so good, the right intonation and all that stuff. So this is good for me to have, to have role reversal because I've sometimes been rather smug saying, well, I like to interview these people because I can throw them some curveballs. Uh, and I suppose, you know, I mean, you've named the people that I've interviewed, you know, kind of go batters and some others, etc. Ben Goldsmith and, you know, Dr. Debbie Hughes, Dr. Fu, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, of course, they've all got lots to say. The key thing is to tease out the stuff they don't want to say. How long have you been tweeting for? And uh, as, as the way that you've tweeted over time changed? It has changed. There's no of course it's changed. I think my first tweet was something like, is there anybody out there <laughs> on countryside? <laughs> what a mad thing to find. I mean, you wouldn't know that now. You yeah. know, I mean, talk about Moore's Law. You know, things exponentially increase every, you know, every year. Though I'm not going to be particularly um, complimentary about social media because I feel that we have, in many areas, breached peak protagonist. In the people who are on social media, it's the same suspects, it's the same voices, they've got position statements, they're not really going to change them. You know, one of the people I really admire died in a wildfire in, I think, 1948, uh, Aldo Leopold, mm, great forester, hunter, etc and why i really do admire him is that he changed his mind all through his career he was curious inquisitive he changed his mind he did u-bends u-turns uh he was always questioning himself questioning other people he probably wasn't popular and i think twitter is not a place for any nuanced debate it has its value and I'm talking about Twitter maybe because I know there's Facebook and there's Instagram and there's lots of other social media um, 
kind of platforms, and they've all got a role. But I think the danger is, and I remember reading this book, it was called The End of Absence, and it was all about the dangers of the internet. And I read it about eight years ago. My wife said, I think you've just ignored most of it. And one line that jumped out at me was, technology is there to make your life easier. It's up to you to recognize it. I to recognize what changes are happening, how it's modifying your behavior and things like mm. that. So it's, you know, I like using kind of social media as a finger on the pulse to see what people are thinking and saying. You've got to take it with a huge pinch of salt. I think the internet generally is a very horrid place to seek information because if you use a search engine, let's say, for example, pollinators and bees, you will just get a whole lot of a campaign coming up on the first page of Google rather than any balanced debate. So we're all subject to echo chambers. Uh, we've all got our own confirmation bias. I think we've just got to be much smarter at recognising it and knowing when to switch off. Tell me about reconciliation countryside services because this sort of brings together everything that you do. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I mean, I enjoy having the debate and being um, let's say vaguely provocative, but at the same time, people say, get off the fence, you know, what are you? Because if you're not with me, that means you're against me. And I don't agree with that because every argument has kind of nuance and has different views. Yeah, I remember chairing a debate. I was suddenly asked to chair this debate. There was an MP there. There were all these uh, scientists. There were some campaigners uh, and it was all about pollinators. And um, I was asked, you know, will you just kind of, look after the running of the agenda. And I looked at the agenda and I ripped it up and I said, right, before the MP leaves, we all need to go around the room and have 60 seconds on what you love and know about pollinators. But please take your label off and do not say for whom you work. And it worked. Everybody just provided stuff without saying for who they were. There was no, there was no um, kind of perception about for who you were would then you know, influence what you were going to say. So you didn't know who was who. And of course, we did an event, didn't we, uh, Ben, a long time ago for, was it Young Naturalists? Yeah, Young Naturalists and Young Farmers. Yeah, Young Farmers and, and, and the Focus on Nature. And that, and that was great fun because it was about stripping away our kind of ownership of, of the discussion of the debate and just bringing the value as to what we know. Uh, and it was, you know, I enjoyed, was it last year, doing some work behind the scenes with uh, some government organizations to kind of just to pass on views that might not always be in the public domain. So I th so the kind of stuff that I want to do more of is to provide neutral spaces so that people with different values can find that common ground. And I think there's, yes, there are ways that we can do it, but it's not the way that we have done it. It is, um, it's a particularly strange year um, for, for multiple reasons and, and certainly not one that, that any of us um, thought that we were going to be going into. Uh, how, how has the lockdown impacted on, on you, your work, your way of life? Well, I'm getting slightly mad, but then I... <laughs> <laughs> I, but, yeah, but I mean, everyone has been. The, the, yes, these are unusual circumstances because us humans as a whole are social animals. Um, albeit we do a lot of our social activity online. Um, I'll be really honest, for me directly, I've been, uh, I've been catching up on a lot of work. I've been hunkering down here 
in the hills. I've been doing some walking, feeding the uh, hens, feeding the kids. I almost forgot the kids there. <laughs> uh, we've, got the home, <laughs> we've got the homeschooling, which is difficult because the yeah. online, we, we, you know, we haven't got the broadband, which is working now, which is great, but we definitely have fiber. So it's been a lot harder for lots of other people, but I do fear that the new online communications may not be ideal because we need to hug people. And I don't mean professionally, but we do need to hug people. And I mean, we need to shake hands, which may be difficult. And I think we need to be able to read the body language face to face. So I think walking and talking in wide open, fresh air spaces is possibly a great way to have lots of these discussions that that you know you and i ben have been having about you know stuff where there's lots of common ground and also lots of areas where there's lots of tensions which we've kind of touched on um so you know i i think if we can be brave enough we can and i've said that before using the word kind of brave but there are new ways you know to reframe some of these narratives um and you know maybe now is a good chance you know to throw everything and disrupt things for the right reason I think that is the mic drop moment. So, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us your thoughts on on an incredibly wide range of topics. I realise that this is going to be a bit of an editing nightmare, <laughs> but uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that we have managed to to go through because we just don't do um, we don't do that enough generally um, because when it comes to the countryside, you can't, in my view, you can't really talk about these things in isolation yes we've taken them one by one but they are all connected at the same time ben i just got to say first of all thank you very much for having me on and i do apologize having said at the start i will just be pithy like my time's there keep some pithy and pertinent to the point i have rambled i have gone here i have gone there but i think this i think this kind of reflects how convoluted how cross you know cross uh disciplinarian i can hardly say the word uh you know but there are so many kind of different land uses different management issues that we've been talking about and there's no way of just putting it into simple silos and talking about it so this has been a bit of a ramble and if people have got confused that's just how it is but there was one quote which i i did discover recently Brilliant. Um, and again i don't think it really meant it, it doesn't really matter who who actually said it but it's basically never tell people how to do things tell them what to do and they will surprise you with their ingenuity i like that that was a u.s army general in second world war george Patton. super we will leave it there rob york thank you very much thanks for coming on the show it's been great fun many thanks ben Rob York, who you can follow on Twitter at Black Girl. That conversation went on for at least another half an hour, and you can find that on YouTube. Just search for Meet the Farmers podcast, Rob York. And there were questions on all sorts of other things from trees to rewilding and walking. Before we go, it's time to play Guess the Crop. Yes, this is Guess the Crop, the mini game show in which I give you three clues for a crop of some kind and all you have to do is message me or answer at mtf underscore podcast on Twitter or Instagram or email me thinking at thinkingcountry at gmail.com. 
At the end of the year, the person with the most correct answers will receive a prize which will be posted to them. You can play at any time. And to get answers from previous shows, just go back through the episodes and send me all your answers at once. I think it's something like episode 73 where they start. So what is today's crop? Your clues are, number one, this plant is native to Western Asia, Europe and North Africa. Two, the fruits of this plant are known as seeds. And three, the seeds have a strong anise-type flavour and smell. So message me your answer to mtf underscore podcast or email thinkingcountry at gmail.com. That's all we have time for today, but thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so and tell others about the show if you think they'd enjoy it or get something from it. Thank you very, very much to my guest today, Mr. Rob York, and to the show supporters, the Mercer Family Charitable Foundation. Next time, I'll be speaking to food journalist Jez Fredenberg, so I hope you can join me then. In the meantime, have a great week, and I'll see you next time on Meet the Farmers.